You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA. Today, we've got a lot coming on today's program. We're going to talk with Dennis Smith of Archer Financial Services here in just a moment about this record rally that continues in the cattle market. And in segment two, we're going to turn our focus to another protein, the sheep industry. Peter Orwick, the executive director of the American Sheep Industry Association, is going to join us to talk about what's happening in the wool and lamb markets and what they're watching for in this most recent farm bill negotiation. Segment three, we're going to turn our topic to fertilizer with Josh Linville, the vice president president of fertilizer at StoneX. And we're going to close today's show with Indiana's Attorney General Todd Rokita, who has been diligent in working on the right to repair for his state's farmers and is, has some reflections on the Sackett versus the EPA case against Waters of the U.S. So stay tuned. We'll have all of that coming on the program. But before we get to all of that, we're going to talk with Dennis Smith, Archer Financial Services. Dennis, we have been talking on this program for a year, you and I, about the incredible run that could be coming in the cattle market. And it's here. We're in this incredible run. Dennis, how much longer is it going to last? Oh, I think we're, uh, so to speak, just getting started. We're just now starting to see the production taper off in a big way. Uh, we're seeing packer margins challenged, but still profitable. And that's the beauty of this. We're talking about record high case steer prices, but packers are still making money processing cattle. Uh, so the wholesale beef market is very strong. It's not record high because of the spikes in prices we saw during COVID. But we're very high in wholesale beef. Uh, everybody's making money right now. And uh, this is all testimony to outstanding demand for U.S. beef. Outstanding demand has been the story here, Dennis, for, for six months. We continue to see consumers face higher prices at the meat case, and they just whip out the checkbook. Can that continue too much longer? Well, I think it can to a certain degree. Uh, there, there will be a, a, a time and price that you'll see some pushback develop. There's no indication uh, of what that price will be or when it will be. As long as we don't slide into recession, and there's no indication right now, unemployment's at a, what, a 50-year low. Everybody's working, and when everybody's working, uh, they want to have a steak. They go out, they buy a steak, or they go to a restaurant and they enjoy a good meal. So for right now, it looks like for the rest of this year, beef demand should remain very solid. Cash prices, Dennis, 190 last week. Do we have much sense of where cash trade is going to develop this week as of yet? We really don't know where this market's going from a cash perspective. It, it could uh, continue to rise as uh, packer margins narrow. In other words, we're seeing the leverage shift uh, away from the packer and to the feedlot. So the feedlot now has the leverage. Packers are now swinging the sledgehammer with the wholesaler retailer. They're asking higher prices for the beef and they're getting the higher prices for the beef. So that's allowed margins to remain intact. So there's no reason uh, to project or to, to fear that this cash market is about done. With that being the case, Dennis, it is record high territory. Is this a point to put some hedges on? It's, uh, it's something to be aware of and thinking about, but because of the live cattle futures market is a discount to the cash, we're not too excited about actively hedging in the live cattle market right now. Looking out, Dennis, you mentioned the leverage has shifted. It's moved from the packer to the feedlot. From my perspective, it looks as though the leverage is shifting pretty quickly to the cow-calf producer, given the incredible sales we've seen in this feeder market. Can this continue? Oh boy, yeah. Feeder cattle uh, futures are red hot. The the activity at the feeder auction barns is really red hot, especially for the younger animals. It seems like the lightweight feeder prices are ballistic right now. We're seeing renewed rain, new rains, uh, drought breaking type uh, weather pattern in the southern plains. 
They're going to have grass this summer. That's going to keep cattle on grass longer, and that's going to reduce placements. It's going to tighten everything up as far as the fed cattle supply moving forward. So, yeah, there's no reason to expect a top yet in the feeder cattle market, but that futures market is a huge premium to the feeder index. It's a huge premium. Dennis, we're talking record high feeder values with corn July contract at 605 right now. You mentioned we're expecting those rains across the Southern Plains. The pastures are greening up. Our cattle feeder is going to get a break on corn prices this summer into fall. We'll see. Uh, uh, the table is set for a good corn crop. Uh, we're going through a, a dry spell right now in, in the corn belt, but uh, it's at a point in time in which the plant uh, moisture requirements are, are very low. Uh, if we start getting timely rains in the second half of June, and if this, uh, this longer-term forecast for a wet July is accurate, you could still see a very good corn crop with expanded acreage and reduced demand for corn. You could see uh, ending stocks a balloon uh, to north of 2 billion bushels, and you have to believe that would drive corn prices lower. You certainly do. So that could be some more tailwinds at the back of America's cattle feeders. Dennis, are you managing, are you putting any hedges on feeder cattle here looking out longer term? Yeah, while we're not actively hedging live cattle futures, because of the discount to cash, feeders are just the opposite. They're holding a huge premium to the feeder index, and we are actively hedging, and Mike, mostly through put spreads, and that's a, a strategy designed to provide a price floor, uh, a measure of protection, but leave the upside open. And that upside, Dennis, do you have a top that you're watching for? Is there a number in your head that you go, man, that'd be fun to see on these feeder cattle? Well, I used to say 250, and we're, we're, we're almost there. So that was a big area, and that'll be a psychological area. But honestly, it looks like that'll be taken out. It's coming, folks. All right, so that is the incredible story on the cattle side. Dennis, yesterday I had the chance to go to the World Pork Expo in Des Moines. Very different story for margins for hog producers. Is this hog market going to turn around, do you think? Uh, we're looking for a, a, a turnaround possibility, but not until maybe late in the fourth quarter. So there's still some time there. Uh, there's something, there's a couple things to be very excited about longer term. The industry's going through a, 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 cor a correction. Uh, they're going to be taking sows out. They're, they're going to be uh, reducing the herd size. And there's just no way to avoid this. So we're going to see a, a real a retraction in the herd size. Uh, we're also watching Chinese hog prices closely as we are told that African swine fever remains a major problem in China. And perhaps by the fourth quarter, uh, renewed Chinese uh, import business could really put a spark into the pork market. It will be interesting, Dennis. The idea of ASF in China came up yesterday several times while I was talking to experts at World Pork Expo, and the consensus was something's happening in China, but they're not offering any confirmation. Is that what you're hearing as well? Oh, we're getting absolutely no news. In fact, they've even stopped reporting cases of African swine fever, which is uh, pretty much in violation of the uh, of the world agreement, but uh, uh, that's how China operates. Uh, but that tells us that it's probably very prevalent and, and, a, and a very major problem. Could see that impact on the U.S. market later on this year. Folks, we've been speaking with Dennis Smith of Archer Financial Services. And Dennis, thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much. Stay with us. When AOA returns, we'll be talking to Peter Orwick, the executive director of the American Sheep Industry Association. Leave it here. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Please be silent as the runners take their marks. And looks like one plant has already pulled into an early lead because it's been enhanced with Biopath, a biological fertilizer complement from the Mosaic Company. Wait, wait, and the early favorite has crossed the finish line. Get the most out of your fertilizer investment. Don't forget to add Biopath to your early season application. Talk to your retailer about Mosaic Biologicals today or visit cornsprint.com. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? 
then we have good news for you. Foreclosure Protection Services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. The landscape of media has changed, and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and the feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference. Bite by bite. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues today, and as I mentioned yesterday, I had the chance to visit the World Pork Expo. We talked how that protein industry is faring here in the United States, and those margins are shrinking for American pork producers. We just spoke with Dennis Smith about what's happening on the cattle sector. It is a different story. We've got margins widening for producers. We've got good times in the cattle business, and I thought now, with summer upon us, with rains across much of the plains, it's time to check in on the sheep industry. Joining us today is Peter Orr. He's the executive director of the American Sheep Industry Association. And Peter, thanks for making the time to talk with us today. Absolutely glad to do it. Let's kick it off, Peter. If you would give us an overview of things inside the sheep industry, how are prices faring here in this era of inflation? Our uh, our meat price has been showing some strength as it relates back to the to the live animal actually our our meat prices stayed very strong throughout 21 and 2022 and it just didn't translate to the live animal as well uh, in 2022 so now we're starting to see some some increased demand that hopefully translates uh, back to the feeder lamb and the and the slaughter lamb on the wool side we're still in a rough market situation. As you can imagine, there was so much less need for textile, particularly wool slack suits, sport coats. We really built up a stockpile uh, of wool around the world uh, during the pandemic. So we're still working through that. We're working through it, Peter. That's something I know you and I have talked about in, in a couple of times before on this program, this massive global wool stockpile. We're working through it. Does the industry have a sense as to, to how quickly we're chewing through this stockpile? We uh, we just completed the International Wool Textile Congress. Uh, it was hosted in Japan two weeks ago, and we took all the major wool buyers and traders with us. And unfortunately, we didn't get the sense that there was that much moving very quickly. So um, 
we're just going to have to be more patient, I think, to, to work with it. It's either, you know, go into storage or accept the price uh, that's out there today. And, uh, you know, neither one is all that acceptable. Fortunately, we do have the wool marketing loan program. Uh, it's in wide use again this spring through the Farm Service Agency. So that does provide some financial help, uh, particularly if you have to store your wool. Absolutely. It's always nice to have a safety net for a year like this. And I'm I'm curious, Peter, with that challenge last year, the, the rising price that didn't quite translate down to the feeder with the wool market struggles, what are we seeing with the size of the sheep herd here across the, the United States? We did well on the inventory numbers with the exception of California. Uh, California's uh, lost, uh, I think, nearly 9% of their of their U inventory, and we put the bulk of that uh, on the input cost of labor. Uh, they, California is the second largest sheep producer. They rely very heavily on the sheep herder uh, program. That's an H2A program that we've had for, for 60 plus years. And California, with their labor model, uh, have more than doubled the price, uh, the cost, uh, the salary uh, that the herders receive. And of course, we already provide all the boardroom food uh, that the that the herders need. So uh, the biggest trouble they've had is just the the cost of labor is, is just making it too tight to continue. That makes sense. Across the rest of the country, though, Peter, these rains that have been falling on the plains, do we have some optimism for those sheep producers here across that formerly drought-parched area? Certainly for uh, for the bulk of the country, I'd say at least in the West, the California Springers have had tons of grazing uh, out there. There are spots in Texas where those spring lambs are, are, have plenty of feed, other spots that are pretty dry. Uh, the areas that had such a severe winter, uh, Wyoming, Colorado, Utah, and then Nevada, uh, you know, they, they, got, they got off the winter feed grounds through shearing, and, and uh, they should be well through most of their lambing uh, at this point. Uh, so they've dramatically improved their range conditions. I can tell you where it's not good. It's uh, just visiting with the U.S. Meat Animal Research Center of USDA that in Clay Center, Nebraska, that is just kind of the epicenter of drought conditions right now. Uh, from there into into areas of, of Kansas, just very tough. It's going to be it's going to be serious by first July if they don't get some uh, some some grass uh, grazing uh, available for them. That's so true. That drought hotspot that's developing across what, eastern Nebraska and then teleconnecting down through Missouri is going to be a concern. Peter, wh while we're thinking about where prices have been, I'm curious about domestic consumer demand. I remember back during COVID, we we saw some lamb demand slack off as folks left the restaurant world. They had to learn to cook it at home again. Now we're back. We've got restaurants in operation. We've got consumers who have, have maybe gotten acquainted with cooking from home again. How's consumer demand looking here in this country? You're exactly right. We uh, we had the white tablecloth fine dining uh, just exist uh, fell <laughs> fell out of place in the pandemic. So uh, fortunately, as you mentioned, the grocery retail end uh, was able to ramp up and 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 get the extra uh, lamb moving uh, through that portion. We shared this with the U.S. House Ag Committee uh, two and a half weeks ago in a hearing. Uh, on the state of the of the livestock business before the pandemic, American lamb consumption, forty percent was through fine dining restaurants. Today, it's at twenty five percent. So while it's an improvement, that's still a huge chunk of lamb marketing that hasn't returned uh, to where it was before the pandemic. And so I think that is a reflection uh, of one of the things that the promotion board is going to have to work with until we see the level of dining uh, return. Um, as as you move through the restaurant business, uh, a lot of the, the restaurants seem extremely busy, but I think part of that is uh, that there's just fewer restaurants. So the ones you do go to are busier. 
That makes sense. And uh, Peter, I'm glad you mentioned uh, you had your executive board member, Lori Hubbard, as you mentioned, testify there at the review for animal ag holder stakeholder priorities. You mentioned that change in consumption habits. What other issues is the sheep industry concerned about uh, from a policy perspective? Well, in addition to discussing the uh, marketing of, of lamb, um, you know, it's an important part in this farm bill, we believe that we'd be very supportive of our promotion program. So we discussed the fact that we have, we voted as a industry twice in the last 20 years, both times overwhelmingly supporting our, our land promotion program. And secondly, animal disease prevention. Uh, the 2018 farm bill was, uh, was uh, history making in terms of the funding and creation of programs to, to help industry and agriculture food business deal with, uh, say, foot and mouth disease outbreak in this country. So that's a huge ask of the agriculture committees to help us with the vaccine bank and the laboratories um, for uh, disease prevention and, and management. We also brought up the fact that, uh, that since we do have uh, uh, wool as part of our production chain, there is a presence and has been for decades of wool and cotton in our nation's uh, farm policy. So we have uh, two very specific asks of the agriculture committees regarding uh, wool. In fact, one is a wool and cotton program. So we support uh, the, uh, the wool industry from the farm ranch gate all the way through the manufacturing uh, end of the textile business. That is a long supply chain for that wool industry. Peter, an another issue that I know is on ASI's mind, uh, coming back to lamb, is the potential dumping challenges that the industry's faced over the couple of years. I know this is a work in progress, but could you fill us in on what the industry's working on? We we, we have engaged a uh, international trade firm. They have to be Washington, D.C. based. Uh, they are working on a preliminary investigation uh, currently. Uh, and it's it's on a on a pretty routine basis that these firms are able to provide into industries that are concerned about uh, whether or not imports are on a you know competing on a fair basis. So they are currently looking for any subsidies in the primary uh, production countries such as Australia, New Zealand. Uh, they're also looking at at production prices and the costs of that's being charged for lamb in those home markets and compared to the prices being charged uh, in markets such as the United States. So I would expect you probably have 60 to 90 days uh, for that preliminary to, to show whether there's anything to follow up with in that arena. All right, Peter, well, as that report becomes available, we'll check in and see how the lamb industry is faring around the world. Folks, we've been speaking with Peter Orwick, the executive director of the American Sheep Industry Association. Learn more at sheepusa.org. Stay tuned. More AOA coming up in a second. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Corn is native to the American continents and was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the New World in the 15th century. It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed. Around one-third of the corn grown in the United States is eaten by livestock, another third is used in the production of ethanol fuel, and the rest is either consumed by humans, exported to other nations, or used industrially. Now that's sweet corn, that's the variety that most Americans grill or boil for cookouts or just eat straight out of a can with a spoon, accounts for just 1% of all corn grown in the United States. These Farm Facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Let's take a look at what's happening in the market trade on this Thursday. Relatively mixed in the grains and oil seeds, corded soybeans, a couple of cents either side of unchanged. Some of that continued spreading between soybeans and corn here this week is continuing ahead of Friday's USDA WASDE report. 
On the wheat side, trading moderately higher there. Many traders expecting the global balance sheets to tighten up a bit with the release of the WASDE report coming up on Friday morning. Wheat trading anywhere about four to five, almost 10 cents higher in some contracts with spring wheat leading the way on Thursday. Now, in the case of quarter soybeans, I mentioned a little bit of spread activity there with the WASDE report coming up tomorrow. USDA could justify cutting old crop corn demand by some 100 million bushels between disappointing export and ethanol use. Probably won't go that far in this report, but that day is likely on the horizon as export inspections continue to disappoint and a big Brazilian crop is about to hit the market. Now, soybeans, uh, USDA is not likely to touch soybean exports yet at this point, but they could bump crush a bit. Soybeans have been getting the benefit of spreading again versus corn this week with upcoming rains hitting new crop contracts. The GFS model, we've been watching, that's been calling for more rain than the European model, but yesterday the European model started following the GFS a little more closely. We'll be following the latest forecast closely as rain clouds are expected here this week across parts of the Midwest in the first wave of what is expected to be a anticipated pivot here in the weather pattern as El Nino gains strength. Not everyone's going to see relief, but many areas are expected to see something. Over in the livestock trade, mixed activity there in cattle and hogs as we continue to see the cash cattle market churn its way higher, some $10 higher for dress sales here this week. But overall, futures trade is mixed on the day. That's Markets on AOA. I'm Jesse Allen. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues today talking about issues that matter to agriculture and one issue that has certainly always mattered to our industry. It has mattered a lot more over the past few years. The prices have been swinging about crazily is fertilizer. Joining us now for an update on the fertilizer industry is Josh Linville. He serves as the vice president of fertilizer for StoneX. And Josh, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. Let's talk through what's happening, Josh. Let's start with nitrogen. And if we can go a little a little weird to start it off here, I'm curious about what's happening with European nitrogen production. We've heard reports of plants coming back online. Is that still a trend you're seeing over in Europe? Yeah, a strange thing. I, when I graduated from college 20 years ago and ran into the fertilizer industry, I, I didn't think I'd be spending so much time watching European natural gas prices Eastern European political situations. It, it's a weird life I'm living right now. But you know, talking about the European situation, uh, their natural gas prices have absolutely plummeted. Uh, August of 22, those prices got up to $103 in the BTU. That's versus their normal, you know, three, four, five dollars. So a lot of production turned online, and it looked like there's no way those prices would fall. Today, nearby months, seven, eight dollars. Winter months, thirteen, fourteen dollars. And yeah, here in the last couple of weeks, we've seen three announcements come out a plant in Italy, a plant in Romania, and a plant in Poland, all announcing natural gas prices are down, uh, profits are back, we're re firing up the plants, we're back to producing products again. So globally, Josh, as these plants restart in Europe and elsewhere, are we just going to be swimming in nitrogen here before too long? 
I don't want to say we're going to be swimming because we're still looking at a global nitrogen market where the global demand is growing faster than the capacity. We're just not making enough new production out there to keep up with the mouths to feed around the world. However, short term, this is absolutely bearish. The world is looking at this from a fundamental standpoint. There's more supply and there's less demand out there. It's very bearish. From an emotional standpoint, it's an even bigger deal. If you're a trader, if you're a seller, you're sitting there looking at Europe and saying, oh, wow, Europe is kind of the last holdout from this whole last two, three COVID year weird situation because I'm on with fertilizer. This is the last thing. If we have that, if Europe turns back on, we're right back to normal. We're back to normal prices. I need to be selling what I have. All of a sudden, you start leaning into those sales a little bit more. Prices have a tendency to drop more than they have go up. That makes sense, Josh. What are we seeing broadly on nitrogen proce- uh, prices? Rather, how's urea look down at the port of New Orleans? Prices are, they've been steadying out, but they're down significantly. Uh, if you go back to last March, April, a physical urea barge would have been $910, dollars $30. Today, those prices have been more like $260, $270. There's been some frustration inland. Uh, this is across the Midwest. This is all the way up in Canada. And folks are saying, this is crap. I'm not seeing these prices. There's two reasons for that. Number one, these lower prices that we are seeing, these barges do not ship until late June, July, August. So if you're willing to wait until those barge tons arrive into your local marketplace, which won't be until July, August, September, I'm sure those numbers are going to be a little bit more available. The second thing is this spring has been all about logistics. Uh, We talked a lot about this winter, you know, just-in-time demand, everybody's waiting on the lower price, which the price are in the lower. Just-in-time demand eventually meets just-in-time logistics. We unfortunately met that head on. A lot of difficulties getting enough product in place and time for demand, uh, limited demand or a limited supply, a lot of demand. Prices never reset lower inland like they did in the Gulf of Mexico. And that's, again, one of those things we always talk about. You've got to consider that basis. You've got to consider that differential. That's so true. That's so true. Josh, are you seeing a similar story play out on UAN here as we get deeper into summer? As far as a price perspective, yes. Uh, Prices have come down tremendously. They're in the $500 range uh, last spring. Today, those numbers are back in the 200s. And again, the outlook as we move into the summer, those summer fill resets, prices are lower still. Uh, Some of our indications are getting down, starting with a one, uh, you know, 185, 195. Whether or not we actually get there, we'll have to wait and see how it plays out. But UAN's never felt the supply tightness that urea has. Uh, it's been a very interesting thing, and I think a lot of that has to do with a lot of farmers this winter. You remember we talked about how high price UAN was, how cheap urea was in comparison. I think a lot more of the market switched over to urea from UAN than what anybody thought possible, which we explained why urea is so tight. UAN still feels like there's more than enough to go around. Feels like there's more than enough to go around, Josh. Obviously, we're looking at some early concerns here on this growing crop across the northern Corn Belt. UAN availability going to be there through the summer? Do we have the supplies inland? I feel like we do. Uh, Like I said, if we haven't seen any sort of supply concerns to this point, I feel like we'll be okay. You know, North American distribution uh, production has continued to turn along. Things start to free up. The trucks become a little bit more free. Rail cars become a little more free. It's easier to move tons as we move forward. So I don't, I would say there is a reason to be concerned and watch for it, but I don't believe that will be a situation. All right, Josh, you mentioned you've been keeping an eye on Eastern European politics, of course, with that war between Russia and Ukraine and the impact on the fertilizer producers in that region. Given the fact of the dam explosion earlier this week, is there more uncertainty in the fertilizer market today or did they just take that in stride? I think they just took that piece in stride. I think they just saw that as a strategic move by whoever did it. I know there's a little bit of back and forth. I've I've got my beliefs. I believe so mean a hill of beans about worth sharing. But from a fertilizer perspective, it was a non-event. Um, we're still looking for something much more major than that. But as we continue to turn along, like I said, uh, Ukraine is not a major exporter of fertilizer. So from their perspective, it's not that big of a deal for our marketplace. Russian tons continue to flow. Um, you know, when this invasion first started, you know, we were pulling companies out of Russia. McDonald's left, Starbucks left. All these companies said we're not doing anything. Banks had threatened to cut off funds to companies that were doing business with them. That didn't last very long in the fertilizer world. One of the biggest buyers of Russian-produced UAN today is the U.S. So Russia continues to export their product. It was just, we went last March, April, we thought we were going to completely lose Russia to the world from a fertilizer perspective. 
could not have been more wrong if we tried. And you're not hearing reports of Russia being pushed out of its ability to export fertilizer. That's not a black swan that's going to come up and bite us later this summer, is it? It could be. I'm not going to sit there and say that it won't, because it is, you know, it seems like Russia continues to get back in the corner. And let's face it, one of the biggest fears out there, and whether people want to talk about it or not, is that Russia gets pushed in the corner and somebody pushes a big red button. Now, if that happens, the entire political situation of the world completely changes. Now, all of a sudden, you're going to see a tremendous pushback on Russia as far as an economic standpoint, a military standpoint. That is where all of a sudden we could lose Russia from an export perspective. They could now start putting things in place and basically said, not only we're going to economically not let you uh, leave, we're going to make sure that you can't do it from a military standpoint as well. And given how big Russia is on the export market for all three of the majors, right, nitrogen, uh, phosphate, and potash, that'd be a huge deal. Very hard to forecast. I'm not counting on it. That's certainly something we're watching. Right. It's one of those risk factors that, gosh, probably slim to unlikely that it would happen. But my goodness, if it did, we'd notice. Josh, you mentioned the phosphate market, and we've been talking a lot about China's are are they or won't they import and export to DAP and MAP? Where, where is the China sitting today? They have finally loosened the restrictions. So the, the Chinese government, in case the audience isn't aware, back in the fall of 21, the Chinese government stepped out and said global prices are high, global inventories are very tight. We are going to protect our farmers. We're going to start restricting the export of phosphate. We're going to take care of our own. Well, here recently, uh, the, the government has finally been heard that they are loosening up these restrictions. They're allowing them to return to normal because they see world prices lower. They see world supplies plentiful, and they want their uh, their producers to be able to participate in that market as well. So the short-term restrictions they put in place is starting to be loosened, and it's a very big deal for the phosphate market. China is the largest, world's largest DAP map producer, and they're the world's largest DAP map exporter. So their return is definitely a bearish situation. Indeed. We also saw earlier this week, I believe late last week, we saw approval for a phosphate mine in Idaho reverse. Josh, is this is this something that we should be keeping an eye on? It is, and it's it's a larger thing that has been going on in the U.S., and it's an administration situation from the government perspective, right? The administration and a lot of the folks in D.C. right now are much more environmentally conscious than they are economically conscious, if you will. And they see mining as a bad thing. And so some of these situations, it's gone on there. Uh, you see Mosaic. Uh, there is other lands that they can mine and produce more phosphate for U.S. farmers down in Florida. They don't want to allow that expansion. So they're forced to just deal with the land that they have remaining. The remaining phosphate rock has continued to be lower quality issues there, but they're making the best of it. <clears throat> but, yeah, as we have these more left-leaning administrations in place, domestic production of these materials obviously becomes in danger. Yes, that's the risk, folks. This was a mine in Idaho. It's been shut down because of concerns over the uh, sage grouse, rather. Josh, before we let you go, let's talk potash real quick here. On the way out the door, what are you seeing in that market and anything producers need to be aware of here? I'd say patient on it. Um, I think we're going to have some pretty good uh, price opportunities out there this summer. Uh, the one biggest bullish thing that's going on for North America, for the U.S., is we have a tremendously good spring run. We, for By all accounts, everybody that we talked to, they wiped out potash inventories. It, it was ran down to nothing. And it's a good thing. We go, you know, That will help to kind of reset things as far as being able to start from nothing. Uh, globally, uh, a group of Canadian manufacturers just concluded a sale with China, it was this week or last week, $115 a ton cheaper than what they had concluded with India a few weeks ago. Now, this is for a contract that they need. All These are bigger contracts, longer shipment uh, contracts, but the fact that that price dropped so much has now got buyers around the world saying, I want my piece of that pie next. Yeah, 115 bucks a ton cheaper. That'll catch some folks' attention. Folks, we've been talking with Josh Linville, Vice President of Fertilizer there at StoneX. And Josh, as always, thanks for joining us on AOA. Thank you, sir. Talk to you next time. Stay with us, folks. We'll be talking with Indiana's Attorney General Todd Rokita here when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA agriculture of america don't go away more aoa coming right up what do mick jagger barbara walters and star jones all have in common they've all suffered from something called heart valve disease 
Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen. It's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Please be silent as the runners take their marks. And looks like one plant has already pulled into an early lead because it's been enhanced with Biopath, a biological fertilizer complement from the Mosaic Company. Wait, wait, and the early favorite has crossed the finish line. Get the most out of your fertilizer investment. Don't forget to add Biopath to your early season application. Talk to your retailer about Mosaic Biologicals today or visit cornsprint.com. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. There are a ton of social networking websites, but one stands apart for a very special reason. This one saves lives. It's MatchingDonors.com. MatchingDonors.com links organ donors with people in need of kidney and other transplants. In the U.S., 22 people die each day waiting for an organ transplant, most of them for kidneys. If you've ever considered becoming a living organ donor, or if you're someone in need of an organ transplant, visit MatchingDonors.com, home of the greatest gift of all, the gift of life. MatchingDonors.com. At YMCA Summer Camp, kids find their why. Friendship and fun, a world of adventure beneath a golden sun. Running, laughing, full of wonder, being themselves is second nature. Summer Camp is where they begin to unlock the confidence that lies within. When kids find new passions, they find their why. Summer Camp season starts soon. Learn more at ymca.org for a better us. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. 
Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. We're going to turn the topic to something we've been discussing for the better part of the past year, and that's the right to repair. Attorney General Todd Rokita has been very active on this front. We're going to talk to him today about how this is developing. Attorney General Rokita, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, Mike. Great to be with you and your listeners. Attorney General Rokita, I know you've been working on the right to repair issue for a long time from an automotive perspective, but now, of course, it's coming from agriculture, isn't it? You know, I don't sit here and pretend to be a farmer. I do, lo- I do love my constituency uh, who are farmers for sure. Uh, I do have a tremendous amount of respect for the work they do, um, and I support them in every way I can. And I've been on, I feel like, like a million farms. Uh, uh, but and, and so the idea that during a harvest season, we're going to have to be able to uh, call John Deere to come out and fix a tractor uh, that's in the North 40 uh, whenever they kind of get to it is unreasonable. It's unworkable. And one of the marks I see in Indiana being a farmer is the fact that you are a Renaissance man that you can fix. Well, we're a Renaissance person now, I guess I should say. And you can fix anything. Uh, they are amazing people that way. And so they obviously have to be able to repair their own equipment. And I was pleased to lead a, a coalition of attorneys general to make sure that uh, we're going to be able to do that. Dodd, and so that, that coalition last year really pushing for the Repair Act on the national level didn't quite have the, the legs to get across the finish line during the last Congress. Is it still something you're going to be active on with this congressional cycle? Is the need still there for a federal law? Yeah, I, I think the need is still there. But here's the thing. Just by us, the Attorney General and others, uh, sending our message to the Capitol you know, even though Washington, D.C. doesn't listen to your listeners and a lot of us on any number of issues, the manufacturers heard it. The manufacturers saw this, and they have been acting in their own to correct the problem. I mean, the, the 95% of farmers right, want the right to repair. Uh, so it doesn't, you know, you, you don't have to be the smartest guy in the world if you're running one of these companies to understand what your customer base wants and what they're going to do. And so I'm actual. I'm I'm thankful for the industry movement that we've seen so far. Uh, so you know, not every solution requires the federal government, and I will keep pushing our manufacturers uh, to accommodate the needs of their consumers. And that's what attorneys generals do. We're, con- we're consumer protectors, protectors, and this is a consumer protection issue. It certainly is. And you mentioned we, we don't always need to see something at the federal level, Todd. But here in this year, we've seen some states really take some action on the right to repair. Colorado most recently. Is that something a state-level law that Indiana might look to pursue? I think so. You know, I'm not a lawmaker. I represent lawmakers now um, as their attorney general. But... I, I, I think you're exactly right, and it's across so many issues that go way above and beyond right to repair, right, from our national security to the sovereignty of our border and our country uh, to, heck, I'm suing TikTok right now, you know, which is, in effect, the Chinese government. So because the federal government has failed in so many ways, uh, states are stepping up. And even so, even if you don't look at it so negatively, even if you say, well, you know, the federal government failed, it's not the federal government's role. That's a very good point. It's, it, we're supposed to have a very limited federal government under our Constitution. It's completely blown out of proportion over the last several decades, and it's going to take patriots, including our farming community, perhaps led by our farming community, to bring this federal government back into its proper scope and size, which is a lot less than it is now. You know, Todd, it's interesting. You bring up rural Americans fighting for constitutional limits. We had that happen just very recently with the Supreme Court of the United States and their decision in the Sackett versus the EPA case. That's the waters of the U.S. law. I know that was something you had been very, very uh, big on uh, on talking about. How does it feel to get that Supreme Court decision? Well, yeah, this is is yet another issue I first learned about years ago from uh, our our patriot farmers, you know, our, our ag community. Uh, who said, you know, the, 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 what the federal government was doing was amounting to a taking. The idea that you can um, define a navigable water as a water of the U.S., right? So a navigable water is a defined term in our federal law. 
and and the the rulemaking, the unelected bureaucrats used rulemaking to um, further uh, articulate that definition uh, to where a navigable water, which we think as what the Mississippi River, the Missouri River, um, the Lake Lake Michigan. Um, those are navigable waters under the common sense definition of what we think of navigable means. But they were defining it as any, literally, in some cases, standing water on a farm field uh, that comes after a heavy rain. Well, it's ridiculous. You know, and, and the connection really quickly is that, okay, if that water eventually gets to a navigable, navigable body, then it too must be navigable, which is absolutely ridiculous. But uh, not for them, because it gave the federal government control over basically all of our land. And so we uh, recently won a huge case with regard to that, uh, something we've been fighting for years. Uh, and what that translates to, whether it's right to repair or the Otis case, Mike, it translates to one word. And the one word is liberty. Uh, not, not necessarily freedom, liberty. What's liberty the distinction is or- Thank you. Liberty is ordered freedom. Liberty is greater than freedom. Freedom uh, could lead to chaos because it doesn't also envelop uh, the, res- the, the re- individual responsibilities that we have to each other. Liberty is ordered freedom. It recognizes that in order to, ex- to ex- enjoy the, the, the largest and greatest freedom, we have to also have respect for one another and for one another's rights and as individuals. And that's what liberty means. And it's a greater thing even than freedom. And and what we're doing is 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 forcing the courts to recognize and force the federal government to recognize um, our responsibilities as individuals and our freedoms as individuals. That gives us greater liberty. Lots to think about here as we head into the weekend. Folks, we've been talking with Indiana Attorney General Todd Rokita. Todd, thank you so much for t- joining us today. Yeah, Mike, hope I can come back and, and, and I ask your listeners to keep fighting for this country as they know it's worth saving and we got a lot of saving to do. Thank you, Todd. And folks, tune in tomorrow. We'll have more AOA coming then. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure Protection Services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration. Retinitis pigmentosa. Usher syndrome. And the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org.